everyone, you're listening to Bionic Bug Podcast with fiction author and national security expert Natasha Bajma. Join me as I discuss the latest news about emerging technology, read chapters from Bionic Bug, and explore the real-life technologies featured in my novel. We'll discuss where fiction meets reality in the future. Hey everyone, welcome to episode number three of the Bionic Bug Podcast. This is your host, Natasha Badma, fiction author, national security expert, and technology geek. Before we get started, a quick reminder, the views expressed on this podcast are my own and do not reflect the official policy or position of the National Defense University, the Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. First off, a personal update. This past week, I hosted my first ever book launch party and book signing for Bionic Bug at Wicked Bloom's Social Club, a very cool bar in the Bloomingdale neighborhood of Washington, D.C. Thanks so much to everyone who made it out on a weekday evening. I also want to say a special thanks to Amber, the owner of Wicked Bloom, John, the manager, Chris, one of Wicked Bloom's fabulous bartenders, and everyone else who helped make it such a special event. I'll definitely be sharing some pictures in the show notes so you can check it out. There were some awesome drink specials and cool drink names that I came up with, the Buzzkill, Beetlejuice, and Black Duck. You might also note that the first episode of this podcast was called Wicked Bloom. That's because the first chapter of Bionic Bug takes place at Wicked Bloom Social Club, which is Lara and her fellow PI and best friend Sully's favorite local bar. Okay, Let's talk tech. So today I'm going to talk a little bit about added to manufacturing or 3D printing as it's more commonly known. So this is a digital manufacturing process that uses 3D digital files to produce parts. Unlike traditional manufacturing processes such as CNC machining or milling, uh, which begin with a block of material and then remove material to form the parts. Added to manuf- manufacturing actually builds 3D parts layer by layer from a vast range of materials. It has been called manufacturing for the masses. Um, basically, if you want to get into it, you can. Um, you can go ahead and buy a 3D printer and materials and start making 3D parts if that's what you want. The barriers are extremely low. Unlike traditional manufacturing, you had to pay tens of thousands for a tooling set in order to produce parts on an assembly line and to achieve economies of scale. This is not the case with 3D printing. So if you want to get to manufacturing, this is for you. It is a digital technology. That means that it will become easier to use. Um, All you need is a computer, an internet connection, a digital file, 3D printer and materials, and you can make and share physical objects over the internet. Think about that for a minute. Not digital files. Well, actually digital files, but they can then make physical objects wherever you send them. This is going to change the world as we know it. Um, So that is kind of going on in the background if you didn't know about it. So there's a variety of materials that you can use and the number of materials is growing like gangbusters. The first materials were thermoplastic, resins, and and metals, but now you can 3D print with ceramics, gold, silver, cement, bio-ink, nanocomposites, glass, food. Someday, scientists even believe that we'll be able to build structures on the moon from the material that is already there. So I promise to give you the headlines that most caught my attention every week, so don't hate me with this one. Uh, This one came out on April 9th. Engineers want to 3D print stuff in space using recycled astronaut poop. 
I'm not going to talk about this on this podcast, um, but if you want to read more, you can see the article on www.digitaltrends.com. I'll link to it in the show notes, but that was the first headline that caught my attention. I am really sorry about that. It is disgusting, so I'm not going to talk about it. So while we're on the topic of 3D printing, there's a new trend called 4D printing. Um, And you're like, oh my goodness, I didn't know about 3D printing. Now you're talking about something else. Well, this is essentially applying the principles of additive manufacturing, but using dynamic materials rather than inert materials. So what are dynamic materials? These are materials that can change or evolve after being printed. So bio inks to print living tissue and organs, conductive inks to print electronics, and other sorts of materials that change after printing. So the fourth dimension is time. So in time, these materials change. So this leads me to my second headline on April 5. Professor uses 4D printing to manufacture curved components without molds. So researchers at Dartmouth College printed a, developed a smart 3D printable ink that can change shape and color. This process allows for the production of curved shapes more quickly and economically. So why, you might ask? Well, a potential application of this new material could be to build satellites. So in space, satellites are subjected to extreme temperature changes. Um, But using this material that can curve on its own, the structure would open up during the day and collect solar energy and then close up at night to protect the internal electronics from the extreme cold. Really, really cool. Finally, one more headline, April 9, Descent of the Machines. Sounds like a novel. Aussie firm boasts of underwater drone swarms. Should I uh, bring in the scary music now? An Australian company claims that it has developed a fleet of underwater drones capable of swarming the seas. A drone weighs about 1.7 kilograms, that's probably 4 pounds-ish, 75 centimeters, a couple of feet long, and can dive up to 50 meters, uh, which is, I don't know, 15 feet. I should have looked this stuff up. Uh, Underwater naval operations um, are typically focused on detecting submarines and gathering environmental data. So if you use these swarms, they could do those things. Um, oceans have long been the domain of submarines who de- which depend on secrecy for their locations and movements. So why is this a big deal? Well, you may not know this, uh, but nuclear submarines play a critical role in nuclear deterrence, providing a reliable second strike retaliatory capability. That's a mouthful. This is the idea that if a nuclear nation, so Russia, China, strikes first with nuclear weapons, they will experience massive retaliation on their cities, basically killing lots of people. This mutual sure destruction deters the first strike in the first place. So any reduction in stealth of our submarines could change change the game. Um, and that's why it caught my interest. So next, I'd like to thank my newest patron, uh, Clark. It means so much to have your support. If you would like to support my time and cost of producing this show for only a few dollars a month, please go to www.patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N forward slash Natasha Bajma. So where did we leave off last week? So in um, the second chapter, Lara is attending a baseball game at National Park with the Nationals facing off against the Atlanta Braves. The game will determine which team gets to advance to the World Series. 
During the seventh inning stretch, hundreds of drones fly into the park. Uh, to the crowd in the stadium, it looks like just another drone show that we've seen uh, many times before, organized by park management, but Lara knows better. So let's see what happens next. Chapter three, the drone show. A distant rumbling of engines and rhythmic thumping of rotors filled the air. Seconds later, two helicopters from the DC Metropolitan Police arrived. They hovered above the stadium for a moment before flying in a circular pattern and shining spotlights into the baseball field. As she scanned the crowd, something caught her eye in the field level seating below. A tall black man wearing a navy coat and a red baseball cap stood in the aisle facing the field and holding up some type of gadget with two thick antennas. He directed his gaze upwards and appeared to be interacting with the drones. This show is over. If she hurried, maybe Lara could catch him and end this spectacle. As she turned toward the aisle, the drones turned off their lights, stopped their formations, flew straight up, and disappeared out of the stadium. Down below, security personnel scrambled in all directions as the police helicopters raced after the drones, the thumping already far in the distance. Screams for more rose from the crowd as they broke into a standing ovation. The commotion blocked her sight of the man. The stadium lights switched to full power and pop music blared from the speakers once more. Lara pushed through the crowd just in time to see the man with the gadget turning towards the section exit. Lara thought he looked oddly familiar. Is that... No, it can't be Sully. The man stumbled up a few stairs and stopped to rub his eyes with vigor. Slamming into an empty seat, he bent down and vomited onto the floor. Several people jumped out of his way to miss the projectile. As he tried to find his balance, he looked up toward the next level. Their eyes met for a moment. Lara gasped in dismay and spun on her heel, ready to jump into the aisle and make her way down to Sully. Before she could move, Vic placed a hand on her arm. What's wrong? he asked. I don't know, but Sully is down there, and he doesn't look good. Do you need my help? Now with this, I'll check on him, but I want you to go down to the field level and talk to security personnel. Give them your card, and ask them if they knew about this spectacle. Then offer them our investigative services. They're going to need our help on this one. Okay, whatever you say, boss. His tone revealed his hesitancy. Lara ignored Vic's narrowed eyes and pursed lips. He could be skeptical as long as he did what he was told. She grabbed her motorcycle helmet and sprinted up the stairs. At the top of the stand, she caught her breath and then made a beeline toward the nearest stairwell. Descending two flights of stairs, she burst through the double doors into the field-level corridor and raced toward the section where she'd seen Sully. Ma'am, do you have a ticket for this section? A female attendant asked sharply. Her whole body was tense and sweat beaded on her forehead. She planted herself in Lara's way and crossed her arms, possibly trying to hide the fact that her hands were trembling slightly. Maybe she also knows that the drone show was unauthorized? Lara shook her head. Please, my friend is in this section. He's sick and needs my help. The attendant swallowed audibly and looked over her shoulder. She dropped her arms and bit her lower lip. Then she nodded. Okay, ma'am, help your friend. But then come right back out. I'll radio for medical assistance. And I'm going to keep my eye on you. Lara held up her hands and nodded. That's fine. I just need to help my friend. The attendant let her by and the stairs were blocked, but by a stream of people hurrying to get whatever they needed before the next inning began. 
She jumped into an empty row of seats and stood up on her tiptoes, surveying the section as best as she could. Sully was nowhere to be seen. Maybe he made it out already? Lara turned round and charged back to the corridor. Her heartbeat went wild as her instinct screamed at her. Something was wrong. She scanned the entire area, looking for any sign of Sully. There were people everywhere, queuing for beer and food. Other fans, celebrating the Nationals' lead, filled the corridors in droves. She'd be lucky to catch him before he disappeared into the masses. About 50 feet away, a group of people made a hole in the crowd, jumping back as a figure, figure stumbled through them. Sully, she called, as his red baseball cap and navy coat came into view. Mothers pulled their children close, teens pointed and giggled, and a few older fans shook their heads in disapproval as Lara's friend passed by. He probably thought he was drunk. She was slightly surprised security hadn't picked him up yet, but then again, they had bigger problems at the moment. She strode forward, but a group of college-age guys filled the corridor and blocked her path. Sully! She pushed through them and caught a glimpse of Sully staggering away from her. He teetered awkwardly against the wall. Sully! Lara called out again, trying to get his attention. She moved toward him. Hey, Sully! He didn't appear to hear her voice over the noise. Before she could reach him, he lurched down a dark hallway and out of sight. Instinctively, Lara reached for her sidearm before she remembered she left it at home. Guns at the ballpark drew unwanted attention and required cutting through mounds of red tape, so she never bothered with it. Lara darted quickly toward the dark hallway. A few moments later, she turned the corner to check if it was clear. The hallway dead-ended. She pulled out her smartphone and clicked on her flashlight app. A small beam of light illuminated the hall, and that's when she saw Sully on the ground. Next to him lay the large black device he'd been using. He lay face down, convulsing on the concrete. Foam formed at his mouth and his eyes wide and crazed. She sprinted the short distance and fell to her knees beside him. Sully, what happened? Lars shook his shoulder, but he was unresponsive. Talk to me! Sully coughed, gasping for air, and then his eyes seemed to recognize her. He opened his mouth, but only gurgling came out. Take it easy. I'll get help. He shook his head and reached into his pocket. The convulsions returned, his entire body in their grip. Lara dialed 911. Hang on, Sully! The phone rang. Sully opened his eyes wide again and gaped at her. Fehas! The buh! Sully gurgled. Sah! What are you saying? Talk to me, Lara pleaded. Darp! He pawed at her leg, and as their eyes met... His rolled back, showing only the whites. In less than a minute, he stopped shaking and lay completely still. Sully! She shook him, but there was no response. Panicked, Lara felt for a pulse, but she couldn't find one. She dropped her smartphone and started chest compressions. More foam bubbled out of his mouth. Still no pulse. 911, what's your emergency? Lara's smartphone chirped on the cement next to her. No! Lara screamed. A burst of energy coursed through her body. Sully, you're not leaving me. I'm not going to let you. She continued the chest compressions and breathed into his mouth several times. She felt for a pulse. Nothing. Her chest tightened and tears welled up in her eyes. She squeezed them shut, allowing a single tear to escape and roll down her cheek. This can't be happening. Opening her eyes again, Lara felt lightheaded. She climbed to her feet and staggered backward a few steps into the wall. Lara braced herself against the cold cement wall, her body shaking. 
The faint 911 operator's voice persisted through the phone's speaker, asking for a response. She bent over and picked up the phone with her shaking hands, nearly dropping it a few times as she brought it to her ear. As she answered the operator's questions, her own voice sounded distant, as though she wasn't the one speaking. Her heart pounded in her chest as she disconnected from the call and dialed Vic's number. Yes, boss? I need you to come here, Lara said, a slight tremor in her voice. I'm still trying to make contact with security. Vic! The guards are in quite a tizzy about the drone show, and I haven't been able to get their attention. She tried again to cut in, but Vic continued. They keep brushing me aside like a pesky fly that... Vic! Sully's dead. There was a pause. What? Vic asked. How? I don't know. I found him convulsing in the hallway. Foam was coming out of his mouth. I couldn't save him. Like he was poisoned? Lara looked at her friend's lifeless body. Could it be poison? Lara, are you still there? If it was poison, who could have done it, and why? She replayed the scene in her head. He had slid his hand into his pocket. Sully tried to tell me something. Was he also trying to show me something? Kneeling next to Sully, she placed her smartphone on the floor and pulled his hand out of his pocket. His discolored fingernails clutched the Star Wars Stormtrooper keychain she'd given him for his birthday. She stared at the dangling keys. Were you trying to give these to me? Lara carefully opened his hand and pocketed them. Lara, I think I lost you. Shivering, Lara glanced down at Sully's body. Sully is gone. The heavy numbness in her limbs and chest prevented the horrible truth from sinking in. Her mind floated above her, struggling to make sense of it. Then she remembered the strange behavior at the bar, the creepy kid. Sully had wanted to tell her something. Now he wouldn't get the chance. Looking at his hand, she examined his purple fingernails. This is not normal. A hint of anger rose in her chest. Her heart pounded and her spirit filled with determination. Someone did this to you, Sully. I'm going to find them. Lara? She grabbed her phone and took a deep breath. Sorry, I'm still here. Scrap the original plan. I need to check out his townhouse, but I can't leave the scene. I need you to come to the concessions area behind section 137 and wait here with Sully's body until the police arrive. What's at his place? I don't know, but nothing feels right about this, and I'm not waiting for the police to mess it up. Lara glanced at Sully's body again, her chest tightened, choking out a shallow gasp. Are you sure you shouldn't wait for the police? To answer questions? Vic asked. I don't think you should interfere with the investigation. I mean... Lara clenched her fist to stop them from trembling. I'll be far more used to Sully by tracking down his killer. By the time the police figure out this was a homicide, the bastard will be long gone. There's no time to lose. Vic heaved a sigh. Okay, I'll be right here. Alara? What? I'm really sorry about Sully. He was a good man. Lara gulped, holding back tears. Thanks, Vic. Let's just get some answers, okay? She climbed to her feet and rested against the cement wall in a daze while she waited for Vic to arrive. For a few minutes, she watched numbly as baseball fans walked by the hallway entrance. With arms full of craft beers and fatty foods, oblivious to the dead body lying on the ground in the dark corridor, mere feet from them. Inside the baseball park, the crowd shouted with fury. She briefly hoped her team hadn't lost their lead already. But as she looked back at Sully, she quickly dismissed the thought. It isn't important. 
Staring down at him, her arms and legs felt paralyzed. Out of nowhere, a high-pitched ringing pierced her ears. For a moment, it felt as if she were back there, roasting in her gear under the desert sun, recovering from the explosion and searching in desperation for her unit. The sun ringing made no sense. Back then, there had been a bomb. Now foam trickled silently from Sully's mouth, shockingly light white against his dark skin. Come on, Lara, it's no time to freeze up. Shaking the tension out, she battled the urge to recoil and regretted stuffing the hot dog down her throat earlier. As a military officer in the National Guard Special Forces, Lara prepared herself for grisly situations, but she never prepared herself for this. Somehow this shocked her even more than losing her entire unit to Afghan insurgents. Experiencing death on the battlefield was expected. She would never forget the smell of burning flesh. The foul stench was permanently seared into her memory. Her unit died while she survived with only a minor injury, and now Sully was dead, and again she was left alive. Snap out of it, Lara. Sully needs you now. Feeling a renewed sense of determination, she began searching the scene for clues, and snapped a few pictures with her smartphone. She picked up the gadget Sully had been using in the park, and her hand dipped from its weight. In all her years of experience with electronics, she'd never seen anything quite like it. The gadget had two thick antennae, with a rugged construction, both which suggested it was military grade. With the previous display in the park, her gut told her it was a remote control for maneuvering drones, but she would need to take it apart to know its real purpose. Sully, what were you doing with this? Were you running the drone show? Lara rummaged through his pockets, searching for some evidence of his activities in the ballpark, but they were empty except for a game ticket. Reaching into the chest pocket of his coat, she found his wallet and dug through it. She pulled out a personnel ID hidden inside an interior pocket. Sally's picture and name were on it, but upon closer inspection, the slightly uneven edge of the photograph suggested it was a forged ID for the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA. At the very least, Sally committed a felony simply by being in possession of a fake federal ID. You must have had a good reason to get risk getting caught. What could have been so important there? She rubbed her thumb over the hard plastic. The ID was in pristine condition, definitely new. He must have used this recently. Hey, boss, Vic said, coming around the corner. Lara nearly jumped out of her skin. Without turning, she shoved the ID in her pocket, hoping Vic hadn't noticed. What he doesn't know can't hurt him when the cops arrive. Where have you been? Lara winced at the harshness of her words. Vic shrank back slightly. I'm sorry, you were hard to find. There are a lot of dark hallways back here. Lara took a breath to calm herself. Well, I'm glad you're here now. I'm going to check out Sully's townhouse, tell the cops I couldn't stay, but I'll follow up with them later, she handed Vic the wallet. Also, keep an eye on that remote. I have a feeling about it, and I don't want the cops losing it in their evidence locker. I've got it from here, Lara, Vic said reassuringly. Lara nodded. She glanced one more time at Sully, her eyes lingering on him for a few moments, unable to leave him until she caught the familiar squawk of a police radio approaching. She tore her eyes away, whispered a last goodbye to one of the best friends she'd ever had, and forced her legs to move. She had a murder to solve. Okay, let's go behind the scenes. 
In chapter three, Lara notices her friend Sully operating some sort of device. It looks like some sort of rugged remote control uh, for operating a drone. Um, but it also could be a jammer or a spoofer, a spoiler alert. Um, so what's significant about this um, and why it caused Lara, catches Lara's attention later on in the book um, is that it's not actually legal to use a jammer or a spoofer um, as a private citizen. Um, for good reasons. Um, these could inf interfere with signals of cell phone communication, emergency communications, and so that will become a topic of interest. Um, one of the many issues surrounding the rise of drones is our very limited ability to counter them. And drones are expected to become increasingly a problem for local law enforcement. They already are. And there's some really interesting options under exploration for how to deal with the problem. And so I just want to go through a couple of those. So. The first one is jammers. So most off-the-shelf drones receive and transmit radio frequency or GPS signals. A jammer disrupts either the radio or GPS signals um, that are controlling the drones. When the drones lose the signals, it's typically off-the-shelf drones are programmed to enter their safety protocols, which means the drone will either hover in place, attempt to land, or return to its original location. Second, a spoofer. So these are quite interesting. Spoofers send false GPS signals to a drone in an attempt to confuse it and then take over, take control of the navigation system. The benefit here, of course, is being able to steal a drone. Um, third, laser or directed energy weapons to destroy the drones midair, causing them to crash. But this is not the safest way to take out drones in a public setting. Um, they're also guns that shoot nets into the air to entangle drones and bring them to the ground. Of course, you could just take out a shotgun and shoot them down, but also not very safe to be shooting guns into the air. And, um, you know, of course, the drone's going to crash as well. My favorite counter drone system, however, is the training of birds of prey to take drones out of the air, although I'm a little concerned about their safety. A Dutch firm called Guard From Above is training eagles to capture drones in flight. According to the company, the eagles do wear protective shin guards in order to shield their legs from the drone's rotors. I can imagine that's dicey. And they have a 95% intercept rate. So those are the behind the de scenes details for this week. So thanks again for joining me and I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Bionic Bug Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. You can also support my time in producing the show with Patreon at www.patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N forward slash Natasha Bajma. See you next week.